0: Today, we invite you to join Bishop Robert Barron as he preaches the gospel and shares the warmth and light of Christ with each one of us. Peace be with you. Friends, perhaps you've heard of some primal cultures in which two chieftains essentially destroy their societies in rivalrous displays of hospitality. Now, I know it sounds kind of weird, but here's the scenario. It's been studied by a sociologist and cultural analyst. So one chieftain entertains the other in this remarkably generous way, like puts on a big dinner and gives all kinds of gifts, right? And what that does, it awakens in his counterpart a desire to Outdo his host in hospitality, lest he look bad by comparison. Right. So you've been invited for that. You've been given this giant dinner. You've been lavished with gifts. Now, gosh, you're going to look kind of bad unless you answer with an even more extraordinary generosity. So he does that. He outdoes. He gives an even bigger dinner. Gives even more elaborate gifts which in turn excites in the original chieftain an even more extravagant hospitality, which in turn uh, embarrasses his rival to do even more, okay? So this goes on and on until each has effectively destroyed the other. There was a French sociologist called Émile Benveniste who did a a study of this, and in the wake of it, I always love this, he noticed the interesting etymological relationship between the words hospitality and hostis, which means enemy in Latin, that there's something in our world, weirdly hostile about hospitality, you know, that gift giving kind of locks you into this negative uh, situation. Now the philosopher Jacques Derrida, who died, oh, maybe 10 years ago now, but was usually considered the greatest living philosopher, you know, in the late 20th century. Anyway, he reflected on on this dimension, this, this phenomenon, from a more philosophical perspective. And he called it the dilemma of the gift. The dilemma of the gift. And here's what he meant. A gift should be utterly free, right? Without strings attached. It's gratuitous. That's the nature of a gift. And yet as as I just explained with that example, and yet every gift seems to awaken in the one who receives it an obligation to reciprocate. At, at the very least with a word of thank you, right? I mean, if you, you receive a gift from somebody, you say, oh, what a nice gift. It was simply given to me gratuitously with no strings attached. But yet, you feel an obligation, gosh, at least to write a thank you note. And then probably, you know, I guess I should respond with a gift of my own. Often, Derrida argues, people can essentially attack their enemies by giving them gifts. (laughs) Now, why? Because it puts the giver in a kind of superior moral position. The upshot seems to be this this is Derrida's point, that it's virtually impossible truly to give a gift. For gift giving seems to lock us into this economy of exchange and obligation. So, I mean, it's almost impossible to say, I'm just giving you freely, gratuitously a gift because it's almost aggressive in a way toward the person that receives it because they're now locked in this Uh, uh, obligation to reciprocate. Now, here's the thing. I, I happen to think that this analysis is largely right. And what I mean is in our fallen conflictual world, absolutely pure gift giving, giving with no strings attached is a rare bird indeed you know I, I remember this has happened to me not that long ago as i uh I, I ran into a um a lady who looked at me with this very sort of pained expression and she said bishop i mean didn't didn't you get the gift i I gave you and and honestly i I didn't realize she'd give me a gift it was you know like during the Christmas season you get a lot of cards and that sort of thing i said, oh you know gosh i i I don't even remember well i I sent it to you and I, I didn't even get a thank you note. <laughs> that experience, and we've all had something like that, that awkward, exquisitely awkward moment when you realize, oh yeah, I didn't acknowledge or respond to the gift. That's what they're talking about here, how it, it just seems difficult, almost impossible, really, to give a gift. Okay, now you're saying, why is, all, why is he talking about this during a sermon? Well, well, here's why. Because there seems to be one great exception to this Derridean dilemma. There's one great exception to this um, awkwardness of the gift, and that is the Lord God. Look, in the Bible, God is spoken of as giver in many contexts. He gives the gift of creation itself. He gives the commandments and covenants. He gave his only son. He establishes a relationship of grace, and that just means pure gift, right? Grazia. And here's the point. Precisely because God is perfect, nothing can be added to him. He stands in need of nothing. Nothing returned to him would do him any good. Therefore, therefore, God cannot even in principle be caught in the dynamics of economic exchange. He can't be recompensed. Hence he can give in utter freedom. Now, put this whole gift-giving thing into the context of love, right? Which is the great biblical term that God is love. What's love? But willing the good of the other as other, meaning giving without expecting any return. God loves, therefore, in the purest possible sense. Let me say it again. God loves. He gives for the sake of the other, in the purest possible sense. He can't be caught in this rhythm of economic exchange. He can truly give. Okay? Now, if you're with me so far, here's where things get, I think, really interesting. Though it's impossible for us in the natural order to give gifts, or at the very least, very difficult for us in the natural order to give gifts, Though we are always caught in something like this Derridean exchange, it is possible for us, through grace, to participate in God's manner of being. If we are grounded in God, if, remember my sermon from last week about Jeremiah, if our roots stretch all the way to the deep water, then we can be as God is. We can act as God acts. Paul can say in his magnificent, ecstatic utterance, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. I've put off the old man, right? Think of the old man, the old person, as someone caught in this, in this rhythm of exchange. I can't really give a gift. But if I can say it's no longer that old person that lives, but Christ who lives in me, then I can be as God is. I can act as God acts. Deus fit homo et homo fira Deus, right? God became one of us that we might become like unto God. Okay, now with all that in mind, (laughs) let's turn to the magnificent gospel for today. Jesus' recommendations in the gospel, I would say, are not for the natural person, but for the supernaturalized person. These recommendations we're going to hear today, this is from from Luke's Sermon on the Plain, these don't make sense within a purely natural context. I, I kind of agree that the natural person can't live this way, but the supernaturalized person Can. If we love what the very love that God is, we can live this way. So, now, now, listen to Jesus. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. In other words, give to those from whom you'd expect no return. Love. Not that you might be loved in return, but just love the way God does, making his sun to shine on the good and the bad alike. You bless those who curse you. You're not playing a game of economic exchange. You're not trying to get something out of it. You're simply giving. Now, let's keep listening. Let's keep listening to the Lord. Give, he says, to everyone who asks of you. And from the one who takes what is yours, do not demand it back. See, Do you see how this simply removes us from the economy of exchange? How it moves us into an entirely new spiritual space. And lest we've missed the point, let's listen again to the Lord. For if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. If you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do the same. I mean, this is right out of the dub playbook, it seems to me, right? I mean, you love those who love you, then you're just caught in this economic exchange. If I love you that you you might love me in return, I'm not really loving you. I'm I'm using you. Again, let's keep listening to the Lord. If you lend money to those from whom you expect repayment, What credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners and get back the same amount. Do you burn with resentment if someone has not written you a thank you note? Do you hold it against someone who never pays you back, who doesn't give you a Christmas present, though you've given them one? If so, you're still caught. You're still caught in the the rhythms of the old person. You haven't moved into the space of pure grace. See, these are recommendations to supernaturalized persons. Now, listen as the Lord sums up this extraordinary teaching. But rather, love your enemies and do good to them. Lend expecting nothing back. Then your reward will be great and you will be, listen now, children of the Most High. For he himself is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Now, that's it. See, if if God alone can truly give gifts, then it's only when we've become children of the Most High, we become sons and daughters of God, we've been supernaturalized, then we can exist as God exists, we can act as God acts. In Matthew's Gospel, Jesus says, Be perfect as your Heavenly Father is perfect. The whole program in Jesus' teaching is predicated upon the assumption that we in him and through him can be supernaturalized and thereby love with the love that he is. And God bless you. Thank you for listening to this week's homily from Bishop Robert Barron. For more resources from Bishop Barron, please visit wordonfire.org.